This is Things That Really Matter, a podcast by global multidisciplinary engineers Kundal that is dedicated to creating new and innovative solutions for the built environment and driving the agenda towards a more sustainable future. Join us as we discuss the challenges and changes that affect the built environment around the world with the brightest minds in our industry. Welcome to today's podcast, where we delve into the story behind the project that's creating a green print for net zero carbon buildings, Eden. Eden is a 36,115,000 square feet, 12-story office building in New Bailey, Salford, UK. It is being developed by the English Cities Fund and is the first new build project in the UK to achieve 5.5 neighbors design target rating. Kundal is providing sustainability, acoustics and air quality consultancy and we are so proud to be part of his journey. I'm Bianca Sparlo, Senior Marketing Executive at Kundal and today I am joined by Phil Marsden. Director of Project Management at Muse Development. Muse is part of the English Cities Fund. Stuart Fraser, partner at Make, lead architect, and Simon Wine, partner at Kundal, sustainability lead. We are here today to discuss Eden's journey and hear from the people behind its concept, design, and sustainability strategy. Phil, I'm going to start with you. Eden has been the talk of the built environment for the past years due to its sustainability credential and obviously the facade, the biggest in Europe. Is it obvious, it's obviously setting a new benchmark in sustainability. Was that always the intention? Um, and what were the key drivers behind the brief? Um, yeah, it's great to see the attention that, um, that Eden is quite rightfully getting. Um, like you said, Bianca, Eden forms part of our uh, New Bailey development in Salford, uh, which is part of our wider Salford Central uh, master plan. Um, and it's the fifth commercial building um, we, we've, we've built at New Bailey. And there's been an evolution of those um, office buildings. Uh, We started One New Bailey uh, nine years ago. Um, So in those nine years, we've developed One New Bailey, Two New Bailey, um, Three New Bailey, which the government took a lease in. We're on site with BT's new headquarters. And then Eden is is sort of the last office building. And we've always wanted to do things better. We've always wanted to improve what we've done before. the Eden site was actually is sort of on the other side of Irwell Street, which sort of splits the commercial side of New Bailey from the residential side. And it had planning consent for, for a residential building. Um, and I remember the day actually me and Stuart were sat in our boardroom. Our boardroom overlooks uh, Eden, uh, which is great. We've been able to see that progress on a sort of hourly and daily basis. But um, we were looking at the site mm-hmm. and just chatting about the potential of creating an office um, building on that plot. Slightly different offer to what we'd done before. It was a smaller plot. We've, we've created 10,000 square foot floor plates there. We've typically done sort of 15 to 20,000 square foot at New Bailey before. But it sort of fitted with, with you know, it's slightly different offer to, to some of the other buildings at New Bailey. Um, but we said, right, if we're going to do that, we're going to do something really exceptional. Um, and we wanted to change the planning consent. Therefore, you know, it's a really prominent site. It's a gateway sort of between Salford and Manchester. And we thought, right, if we're going to do a commercial building here, it has to be something really, really special. And to us, that meant really pushing the sustainability boundaries. That's what the special was. It wasn't creating a, a building that, you know, was an absolute architectural masterpiece, although it actually is. <laughs> um, it was about creating a really, really sustainable building where people would want to work um and would sort of we, we could sort of see that this 
uh, drive towards um, sustainable buildings was was coming. It wasn't as dominant as it is now, but it was certainly on the way. Um, so we set off with the vision, right, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to create the most sustainable building that we possibly can. So it was the, it actually was the vision before we'd even got planning mm. consent from us, before it was, like I say, it was a residential building. So absolutely right from the outset, which has been so critical actually to the success of, mm. uh, of Eden. Um, and we stuck with that vision. And it, it, this wasn't necessarily about carbon, um, although that was clearly a big part, but it was the holistic like sustainability approach. Mm. Um, and create a building where it'd be great for the people who who mm. own work, most importantly, work in that in that building. Mm. Um, and so it evolved um, from that point, really. Uh, and we're really, obviously, we'll come on to it a bit more detail, but we're really proud of, of what we've achieved. Mm. Well, obviously, it does music to you, Simon, and us as a business. When you want, you have a client that just wants to go for the most sustainable building, and we want to push for that as a business as mm. well. It's great to work with people like that. So, what would the Biggest challenges and opportunity with such an aspirational brief um, from so, a design point stance, yeah. So it was really interesting time because at the same time as starting on Eden, we were also working with Muse and Phil, looking at their wider sustainability strategy, which we were looking to implement across all their developments. So Eden was really the prototype uh, for the Muse sustainability uh, development brief. Uh, and at that time, I'd say the focus of the industry was really on well-being. That was the key focus of sustainability. With the well-building standard, uh, we delivered a number of the schemes in the UK that achieved that standard. So health and well-being was really front and centre. But what we were discussing with Phil and the rest of the team was really the emerging net zero carbon standards and um, uh, climate change response. So we set about looking at developing a holistic sustainability framework, as, as Phil indicated, looking at well-being as, as a standard point, uh, net zero carbon, but also bringing in social value, which uh, Morden Tyndall Group have developed their own social value bank, and we were integrating elements of that into the design. And a big focus, obviously, which Stuart will cover in a bit more detail, is the biodiversity net gain and how we can really uh, have a positive impact on the local area and the biodiversity in the area. It was a very interesting time. It was back in 2020. We'd just seen the release of basically a raft of net zero carbon guidance. So we had the UK GBC um, uh, net zero carbon definition just come out. We'd had the Letty Climate Emergency Guide, which we helped produce. Um, basically going out to industry saying what is possible and we were trying to understand how we could incorporate all these things. We hadn't got the UK Green Building's net zero carbon offices guidance so there weren't really any targets so we were kind of feeling in the dark a little bit. Uh, over the last two years there's been a lot of consolidation but we were really trialing this as much as possible so from day one, uh, when the rest of the design team were brought on board, uh, Phil and I outlined the importance of sustainability to the project, what our aspirations and targets were. And luckily, the, the whole des design team bought into that and were able to trial as much of that as possible. So setting embodied carbon targets, looking at embodied carbon from day one, really trying to challenge the operational energy. Phil it mentioned that we wanted to be as low in operational energy as possible. And luckily, just as we were having these discussions, we were able to bring neighbours over from Australia. So I'm on the BCO ESG committee and we were working with the Bear Buildings Partnership to bring that over from Australia. We brought it over. We understood that it's a, a an op actual operational energy performance rating from one to six stars, with six stars being the best. It's taken Australia a decade to kind of get to six stars and filled had a very ambitious challenge, which was why, why can't we be six stars straight away? First project in the UK to try it and go straight for six. We worked out some strategies and uh, how we could get to six. 
and ended up uh, after kind of going through some of the early stages going to five and a half, which is still the, the highest rating in the country. Uh, and most schemes are still kind of aiming at four and a half, five star. So it was a very ambitious brief and that didn't wasn't just limited to the operational energy. We had embodied carbon targets around 600 which we went through, I think Stuart, we went through about 17 to 18. Different structural options, yeah, lots. Uh, which was painful, but uh, really uh, insightful, quick mm. learning curve. And we, we ended up with a more traditional frame, but very, very efficient. And I think uh, it's coming in around just over 600 at the moment. Again, we are, we've got schemes which are coming mm. in slightly lower at the moment. But considering this was started in 2020, it's a really, really mm. good standard and one of the best commercial offices, mm. new build in terms of its performance. Anything mm. else that you guys want to add now? Or? I think that um, Sam picked up on it there, but the, the achieving the operational energy was um, was tough. Um, but I think we've we've having been through that, there's mm. absolutely no excuse um, for, for me, for any commercial building, not now to achieve a sort of five and a half star rating, I can, we can sort of see a way through that. But one of the biggest challenges um, was around embodied carbon and we're quite open about where we didn't achieve our targets and we didn't we didn't hit our embodied carbon um, target that we set, which was disappointing, but um, it was unachievable unless we'd used timber in the building, which mm. just wasn't achievable for a number of reasons, mainly um, challenges around insurance and and a massive amount of cost, which would have just meant the project was undeliverable. So, I think embodied carbon particularly mm. was a big challenge um, for us, um, and continues to be, and something we, we we're really trying hard to focus on. But I think it was interesting when we went through all the different structural options, and it was that appraising them, mm. looking at cost and carbon throughout it, and and the realities of every move we made needed to consider both of those things because we we didn't have an infinite budget you know we were working on you know quite a, you know a, a good budget but you know a good budget that still needed to be deliverable and it's trying to ensure that for every pound that we were going to spend within that budget we were getting the benefits that we saw from that and and that's where some of the sort of structural options actually sort of fell away and and there were things that maybe we could have got slightly more performance out of it but not necessarily proportional to the sort of gains that we were making on a sustainable basis. And it was that whole appraising process really was what this whole exercise for me has really been about. It's that whole thing of going back and questioning almost everything. Why did we do it? Mm. Is there a better way to do it? And trying to look at the factor of, you know, cost, carbon, and all other factors are considered to make a sort of holistic view going forwards of what is the appropriate way to build it. Yeah, and I think we, within the team, um, the team fully embraced like the vision for the project. So um, every time there was a tough decision, the, the sustainability brief was like the key thing. Yeah. So obviously we have to factor in then cost and what does that mean in terms of deliverability. But as part that, I guess part of delivering Eden was about actually building it. Mm. Do you know, it was this was okay. We want to create the most sustainable commercial building that we could, but we've got to build it. You know, and it's. It, it, we could have done something different and hit a much lower embodied carbon level, but we probably won't be on site now building it because it won't be viable. So we're actually delivering a scheme that, you know, I've been, quite, I've been open about where we are in body carbon, but we've done really well. We're probably half the level of embodied carbon we would have done, we would have been, you know, three, four, five years ago. So we're very proud of that. But it put that, that, like I say, we didn't quite hit the targets and it's one of the challenges. But again, you have to remember that the time that we were doing it, 
even the best hybrid buildings were coming in with similar numbers. So yeah, yeah. we've got down to kind of where yep. the, the best we could have been at that stage. There's obviously buildings which are on the drawing board at the moment, which are coming in at 500 or 550, but those are mostly kind of hybrid looking. The emergence of reclaimed steel has really started to push down numbers. Again, I think the, the efficiency of the design was pushed to the absolute limit. It was the materiality and the material selection, which has evolved over the last kind of yeah. year, two years, which if we were building it now, I expect we'd, we'd easily knock off another 50 to 100. Yeah. And I think one of the other challenges we had was um, it, the building is, um, it is different in terms of what we've perhaps done before, where we've got more columns in the floor plates. So again, making it more efficient by putting more columns in. That helped with the embodied carbon. Um, we've got 40% glass on Eden, mm. um, which uh, is sort of similar to what we did on Tooney Bailey, but there were some concerns then around, is it gonna, is the space gonna be a bit dark? Are we gonna get enough natural light? And actually it's not, it's fine because, you, you know, Stuart and the team were really hard about putting that, those areas of glass in the right places. And it's, it's, it's absolutely fine. It's not a problem at all. But some of the, because this was the first time, they, those concerns weren't necessarily coming from us, but because this is the first time we'd done it, concerns were coming from some areas in the market about that. But it's, there's absolutely no issues at all. There were, I mean, if you attend many of the events in the Northwest, especially, a lot of time when you mention it, it's like, oh, yeah, let's see how it is. Mm. If it actually is going to get 5.5, it's always like that. And mm. well, we'll see how the, the facade works. And you sit there, from, it's hard from a perspective because I know what we're doing. And so it's like, yeah, it's going to happen. Don't worry. It's going to happen. Yeah. Don't you? Mm. Um, don't you worry. It's an issue with it. Like, I follow. Um, Stuff I probably shouldn't, but look on Skyscraper City on the forum there. <laughs> and it's, I go, I went back the other day and looked at like the first few pages, pretty sad, yeah. you know, but I went back and looked at the first few pages of Skyscraper City and it was like, ah, oh, they'll never do that. Oh, that, that living wall will be replaced with plastic plants. It'll never get built. And then you've seen the comments sort of change as we've de delivered the building mm. and people are now like, oh, they've actually done it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been really interesting to see the shift of the sort of criti critical stuff to a now it's like, wow, it's, you know, They've actually done it, and it looks amazing. How did you approach the the walls, the plant facade? Well, I think in terms How of did you know, the idea come about. Cause well, we had lots. There was a whole host of things, as we were saying. You know, we were testing lots and lots of bits, trying to reappraise it. But I suppose probably as an architect, the biggest thing that we can impact on all of this is that building envelope. And as and as Phil said, you know, trying to push that solid to glass ratio down, looking forty and a true forty percent on the glazed area within that which is something, you know, as a practice we've pushed ever since we first founded Make. And, you know, Ken was one that came out talking about the death of the glass box. And equally champion in BCO standards, the whole thing about actually putting solidity back into the lower parts of, 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 the, of the building floor plates. So that bottom 600, actually, solar gain is minimal. Uh, sorry, solar gain is, you get lots of solar gain, but natural light is pretty much absorbed into the, in, into the carpet. And, these things are starting to sort of see a shift. And, it, and it's funny, even this building we're in today, you know, you start looking at these Victorian buildings, you know, there's there lots of reasons why they did things back then. And, you know, they were really sort of thought through and considered. And, and it's about putting that solidity back into it. By doing so, we're able to get really, really high uh, U-values and performance out of the building envelope. We're able to reduce the um, air infiltration rates down to, to around 2. U-values uh, in the solid areas were around 0.15. And actually what we're able to create is something that's really, really efficient. But what we also pushed with that was coming back to that thing about buildability and how do we build it. Uh, we wanted to get it back to something that was quite um, 
I suppose utilitarian in some ways in the, what the backing wall system was for it, something that could be built. And actually, when we say it's going to achieve that air infiltration rate, we actually get it. So we looked at this sort of simple way of making sure we had this sort of chassis to the building that was really, really well insulated. And it was then about how you then layer up over the top of that. And we talked about a number of different options, but it was also probably coming back to one of the things that Phil had been pushing on the new Bailey master plan which is where you'd actually started taking areas of the hard landscaping out and actually bringing more greenery coming through into it, suddenly softening it up. And I think whilst we didn't have huge areas of landscape to add to this building around it, we were sort of coming in the last sort of pocket uh, to be built out. We sort of saw that opportunity that started these conversations. Well, actually, could we bring more greenery actually onto the building itself, which started to sort of, uh, sort of grow in scale about how far we could push that but also thinking about the benefits of that and the fact that actually if we can get greenery onto there, the fact that actually we start absorbing pollution um, and carbon out in the atmosphere with that, that, that facade, things such as biodiversity net gain suddenly becomes huge in terms of what that does putting back into the uh, into sort of city uh, environment. And other, you know, other things such as, you know, even down to the ideas of, um, of well-being. And one of the things we love now is you're starting to see it getting built. Not only do you see the green on the outside, but actually you suddenly uh, sat in, in where your desks will be. And actually you suddenly get the idea of the green is starting to come over the sill. So you actually from inside, you get edgings of that greenery. And it's no different than at home where you have, you know, on your window sills, you have your you have your have your planters, and there's a reason why why people do that, and 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 I think it brings a uh, a sense of well being to it, and that was something that we sort of quite liked in this idea of softening it. You know, we we've sort of tried to sort of push it as far as we can with this. You know, in terms of scale of it, you know, we've got three hundred and fifty thousand plants on the building. <laughs> and you know, it's it's it's, it's the it's the largest uh, living wall in in in, in Europe. And, and it's been a challenge and it's been an exciting challenge to sort of drive it. In some ways, you know, it doesn't necessarily straight to the carbon. You know, those go, oh, well, what's that? Good? And, but actually, it's not just about carbon. It's about looking at the holistic round of what this brings to this part of the city, uh, not just that building itself. And, yeah, it's been an interesting challenge, an interesting journey. Lucky that Phil trusted us, I think, to probably go with it on this scale, um, which is one that we all have laughed about <laughs> at times when we've had the fear of trying to get this to deliver. But I think, you know, it's 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 been another part to this sort of layering. And I think there are so many pieces to this building that, you know, add to it, whether it is about this facade chassis underneath that's so, so, so efficient, you know, we've got the biodiversity that we're gaining on the outside of it. But even things such as natural light inside, where we slid the cores at to the outside edges to try and free up the site to develop it. it means we've got natural light into the everyday stairs that come through it when you're in the lift lobbies you've got views out of the sort of wings that bring natural light glimpses of the greenery which i think just bring another level of um sort of user experience but still always comes back to there is a benefit in there that becomes part of our overall strategy well it's just driving home that well-being strategy mm. which was again we didn't follow full certification but we we applied as many of the principles as mm. possible and that was integrated from mm. day one uh, every brief it was how what, what's this going to do to well-being what's this going to do to carbon how do we get the transitional scares improve the quality of that and really drive that home just when you're talking about the facade it reminded me one of the the funniest well the best workshops we had was 
Phil mentioned earlier where we where decisions went back to the sustainability brief. I remember being in a meeting where we set the U value requirements to the facade consultants and we didn't just set a solid and glaze. We had an overall performance requirement mm-hmm. and the, they said, Oh, we can't achieve that. It's too it's too difficult with the mm-hmm. facade systems we've got. Mm-hmm. And we said, Well, you, that's the target, you have to achieve it. And Phil just turned around and said, Yep, get on with it, go go away and redesign it. Mm-hmm. And that that and that, that that was the approach we had on on everything. And that kind of opened up the door to yeah. something different which is mm. where, where we ended up and what we've ended up with is just amazing mm. i think that's a key lesson really is um there's always like an easy option when something looks a bit difficult mm. and actually the whole the team embraced that and was like mm. no actually we find we find a way to do it which has then drives me i think the the living wall is um it looks amazing i think most people absolutely love it now and the amount of attention it's getting is because like I say our boardroom looks over the building and you just see people stopping mm. taking photographs and looking at it it's fantastic and the other day I was I was doing the same I was stood outside taking a photograph and a, um, a car pulled up and a lady wound the window down and said <laughs> not wound it's, it's not electric windows isn't she? but she said um, isn't it beautiful Aww. and I thought oh, she's She's not talking about me. I don't. Think she's talking about Eden, and it's like I don't think anyone's ever said that to me personally. About building, yeah. I was, but I just yeah. thought, yeah, what a great reaction, yeah. and it it's is a nice way to end Eden as well, because each of the buildings in New Bailey, sorry, to I've kind of finish up the whole project in New Bailey. Um, it's nice; all of them have their own identity mm-hmm. because. Um, New Bailey's got that beautiful interweaved brick mm. facade, and then you're you're going to the diagrid one with four New Bailey, and then you you get that transition, and you go back to the to the to green one. So it's yeah. quite nice. It's always been a thing for us at New Bailey's that we didn't want to create buildings that were just steel and and glass. They all had their own, mm. and Stuart's been involved with um, three of the buildings three. at New Bailey. Oh, yeah. Stuart takes a lot of credit um, there, quite rightly. So, yeah. But I think it's an evolution. I think what's interesting, you see through each of those mm. things, there's an evolution, Definitely. which I think resonates all the way through your business in recent years of, of where you were, where you've come to and where and the direction that you're now heading into as a um, as a sort of leading developer, you know, champion placemaking, which is, you know, inherent in all of these schemes. Mm. Yeah, we were lucky to be part of three of them as well. Four <laughs> now, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you covered cost a bit, uh, but I, th- I was thinking maybe we can go back in terms of how we balance the aspiration with cost and viability and making the building future-proof. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess the headline is that Eden wasn't significantly more expensive than a traditional office building. Um, we procured that building at just over £200 a square foot. Um, it's different, obviously different now. Construction mm. costs have, have changed significantly, but at the time that was probably two, three percent more expensive than than if we procured a traditional building. Um, and that goes back to my key point that we had to make it viable. We had yeah. to deliver it. Um, we're obviously delivering it in partnership with Salford City Council, and it's part of New Belly. It had to, it had to be viable, um, which it was. Um, and so it hasn't actually costed a significant amount more. You know, there's no amazing fancy bits of tech in that building that are costing a huge amount of money. The living wall is probably no more expensive than a, than a traditional wall. It's just been a really, I think the key uh, there is just a really rigorous uh, approach to the design, mm. really detailed. It's pretty boring really, but actually analysing every single mm. aspect of everything. It's like that, you know, those marginal gains, yeah. add them all up mm. and, you, and it adds up to a, a, a big chunk out of either reduction in embodied carbon or improvement in operational energy. That has been the key on uh, on Eden, I think, for us. And mm. 
us having the vision, the team embracing the vision, not taking an easy option and, and going for, for something that might reduce the sustainability aspiration, but it's easier not doing that and just everyone buying into a completely rigorous approach. The other thing which we'd never, we'd never done before is we got all those requirements, so the, certainly the operational energy, the embodied carbon, the, I think we got the whole life carbon in, the biodiversity net gain into the building contract with our contractor, which oh, was uh, you know absolutely vital mm. because you can do all that work up front. And if you don't capture that, as a contract requirement, then it can get, I'm not saying the reward with the contractor we're working with, you know, Bowman Co, they're doing a great job, but it could get watered down and it, and we've got those in the building contract. And that was quite a challenge actually, but we've done that now and we can learn lessons from it. Um, that's key to the, to mm. the, the but yeah, the viability wasn't costing us that much more. So that wasn't, a, that wasn't really a, a, a massive issue for us. That's the important takeaway, isn't it? Because I think people are scared when they hear, oh, we need to get zero carbon. They think, oh, it's going to be so much more yeah. more money. But it's not necessarily, you just have to make sure you're looking at all the I options. I think when we were looking at really reducing the embodied carbon and we were looking at a hybrid structure, that was, I think, a significant amount of cost. Mm. And actually, when, like Simon said, it wasn't actually saving that much embodied carbon. So it, well, it just didn't mm. stack up yeah. there. We were better spending the money making the building better in other areas. Um, At that time, I think the hybrid solutions come down, the timber has come down. So actually, yeah. again, I think if we were doing it again now, I think we'd probably have been driven in that direction, but yeah. viabilities. Yeah. But one of the interesting things when we talked about cost is also not just the, the actual physical cost, but then the, the value. And so again, uh, it's English Cities Fund, so it's working with legal in general as well. And, and it's, it's the value they put on. And again, it's securing this work. We're seeing the market's quite funny at the moment. It's quite strange. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing is schemes which have good sustainability credentials that are meeting funding requirements mm. are getting the go-ahead and there is there's definitely a premium for those products and they're, 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 they're attracting the right kind of tenants and it's going forward so the cost uplift is small but the, the benefits and value is, is is potentially huge i think it's um again looking back at that it shows me the power of like doing the right thing it's a bit of a mantra i have where if you if you've got a decision, if you feel like you're doing the right thing, it will pay off in the long run. Mm. And so look at, if you look at Eden, we started designing that. This is an example, pre-COVID. Um, COVID came probably a year into our design um, process. But because we were making the building more sustainable, we'd done things that would improve the fresh air rates in the building because that was better for the people working in that building, greater fresh air rates, way, way above the sort of BCO requirements. Obviously, we went into COVID and you come out of that and guess what? Everyone's looking for better fresh air rates in the building. Well, we've done it. We've done it because we did the right thing at the time. And it's like, same with the ESG stuff now, the way that's gone and the, what tenants and investors are looking for in buildings. We've got a building that does it because we did the right thing. We've not had to react to it mm. retrospectively. And then you end up with a sort of slightly compromised building because we did it from the start. It's paid off. And I, and I think that's the key thing. It's the thing that all these moves that we were making, and it is marginal gains, and it's the fact that they were integral to all the moves and the steps we've made all the way along. And I was trying to explain to this to someone the other day, and they were saying, well, and was, there just isn't one magic thing that you do. It's everything, whether it's, you know, things such as, you know, where we take all the stone finishes, don't have any stone finishes in lifts, you know, get the light, the weight out of it to try and reduce the uh, the impact of, of, of the weight and the running costs. You know, taking out the air curtains around mm. the entrance doors and thinking about what entrance doors we're going to use that don't need those air mm. curtains that are constantly running. And they all are minor wins, but you add up all the minor wins and that's where you get yourselves. And and, and that's really what we've done. And 
I think none of them would have been, we'd have never got anywhere where we are today if we'd have sort of got to a point and then we're trying to strip out, shoehorn in. You know, it's the fact that actually we went through this process and I think it is that rigour that's sort of driven this. Uh, and you, you can't underestimate this. Like we've been working on net zero carbon projects for for a while, but really an emphasis over the last kind of three years. And that I don't think that any team's really got it as much as this team has. That we still have clients talking to us about where is the innovation, where's the big ticket iron, where's the silver bullet, and even things like timber. They're not silver bullets. They're they're all marginal gains. It's really about designing everything efficiently, challenging every single thing. And the good thing about this team is the entire design team and the and the contractors when they came on board have been on board on this journey. And you need that. And again, it's very difficult to change the mindsets mm. of the industry. Mm. And that's normally the biggest barrier is getting in that mindset change. And you normally have people a few people on each design team which aren't engaged or aren't driving forward and we were very lucky on this project the team were all excellent and it's been driven all the way through and, and that, that's enabled us to to get here at that limited cost increase rather than just going for a silver bullet or a or final solution so but I, I guess this could be a key lesson then but is there anything else that you would add in terms of what we've learned from the design and how did that play into a what well, Muse and ECF are going to do next in terms from a, yes, so from a sustainability point of view? We had a lot of lessons learned. I think, again, as I said earlier, this scheme was really the prototype for Muse's mm-hmm. sustainability strategy in their development brief. So we've introduced Muse's development brief, which was hugely based on Eden. And what we've realised with that and with Eden is... It's all well and good having a good strategy, but you need to have an implementation strategy on how you're actually going to deliver it. You need you need a process and a governance structure for delivering that. And that goes right across a, a, a strategy for an entire portfolio, but or even for a project. Uh, one of the things that Phil mentioned was getting this into the contract with B&K. So we were very nervous about that because it was the first time anyone had really written it in. We've done it subsequently quite a lot. and We've used mm-hmm. uh, the Muse one as an example in, in Eden. Uh, in reality, we probably could have pushed them harder. Contractors always say, no, we can't do that. It's going to cost too much. Uh, I think the contractor requirement in terms of embodied carbon, being care smashed, they've mm. done some great work to get down lower. We wanted to push them harder. Uh, we probably could have done so. Operational energy, they were very resistant, uh, but they finally signed up to it. And again, it, it's making sure that we're signing the contractor up to those. But then, again, lessons from the neighbours was really... We know how to design a building to be five and a half stars. We know how to uh, model that and work out the scenarios. But what we need to do is make sure we're delivering that in practice. So I'd say 90% of the lessons we've been learning on Eden and and, and other buildings similar is we really need to focus on the actual operation. And it's the same with the rest of the sustainability KPIs. It's no good having it on paper on the design. We need to get it in practice. And even handing over this building at five and a half stars is great, but we want to see it achieving that in use. So it's working with the developer, working with the occupiers, developers and contractors to basically uh, ensure that they understand what their requirements are, that their aspirations are, because ultimately we'll only succeed if they buy into it and drive that forward. So we need to potentially write into lease requirements that they have to achieve certain standards. And again, Australia have kind of gone that way. The UK is very reluctant to go that way, I think, over the next year or so we're going to see more lease requirements i think we're already starting to see them in terms of data share but there are going to be requirements for the landlord and the occupier to achieve certain performance ratings 
That is timely because Neighbors has introduced the, the tenant, um, Neighbors, hasn't they? And uh, yeah, the whole building. Launched a couple of uh, last month. Mm. It's been useful, I think, if we did that uh, probably a few months ago. It's, it's like everything in Eden. We, 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 we kind of did it all on our own. The market's kind of followed behind. But luckily, we've, we're roughly on trend on 99% of it, I think. But yeah, gone on our own way a little bit here. Talking about tenants, um, what do the tenants think about the building, Stuart? And- well, I think the feedback has been very, very positive. I think the um, the aspirations of it is something that lots of people are looking to align themselves with as they themselves have their own ESG targets mm-hmm. uh, looking forward that they're setting and trying to, uh, trying to live, deliver. I think the neighbours rating has been something that's really helped us with this. I think that brings something to the industry that starts to, rather than everybody claiming or <laughs> offering different perspectives of what um, certain standards mean. I think it's bringing uh, a unity to that and uh, it's something that people are able to compare to. I think it's also helping us, I think in some extent, when people are talking about where does that sit in the future? And I think that also helps having a sort of benchmark that we're hitting very high on um, in terms of sort of future proofing of that project. You know, we haven't just designed to something that's meeting today. This is trying to look and do as best as we can uh, and looking to the uh, looking to the future with it as well. So I think the feedback's been, been been positive. It's been interesting talking to tenants about the process and the journey we've been on as we've been discussing here. And I think it's something that all of them have been intrigued about and have been buying into. Um, and I think that's what's starting to attract um, specific tenants to be looking at this building. It's a bit of a minefield for occupiers at the moment because there's a lot of buildings claiming a lot mm. of things. The neighbours hopefully keeps uh, it kind of uh, to give a bit of certainty that we're achieving it. There's only 20 buildings with a neighbours designed for performance rating at the moment, uh, Eden being one of the only two with five and a half star, first new build. So again, it really sets it out. And again, one of the things which is coming into force next year will be the net zero carbon building standard, which Candle are helping to develop with the UK Green Building Council, SIPSI, and other number of industry groups. And again, the aim will hopefully be to get Eden certified to that net zero carbon building standard if we can so again it's, it's having that uh, certification third-party accreditation that stops the amount of greenwashing we're seeing in the industry mm-hmm. again a lot of that greenwashing isn't on purpose people are making claims because there's a, a disconnect between all the uh, definitions but again those are being unified mm-hmm. and again we, we we designed this three years ago and I think it's it's meeting or nearly meeting pretty much all the the standards we need to compare it against the new uh, TNFD for um, biodiversity Mm. which came out of the uh, biodiversity COP, again, I think was smashing all those targets and that, that wasn't on the agenda when we were discussing this three years ago. So mm. I think the future-proofing of the scheme has been amazing and, and we're, we're, it's still meeting the, the highest standards even though mm. the design was done three years ago. Mm. So before we, we close this, um, now that you're setting up kind of a green print, as I like to say, with Eden, what's next for ECF? Um, really exciting times for well, both ECF and, and Muse, actually. we um, I mean, ECF, has, the fund has just expanded um, in, in the north. Um, we've just been successful on the Stockport 8 um, project in Stockport, which is a residential-led scheme, which is a fantastic project in Stockport Town Centre. Uh, in Salford, um, we continue our 
partnership with Salford City Council and, and the University of Salford in Salford Crescent, which is a, a phenomenal scheme, um, sort of extends Salford Central through to the university. Um, again, both Simon and Stuart involved in, in the master plan of that project, 3,000 homes in their new innovation zone, massive changes in infrastructure with a huge focus on sustainable transport. Um We've got St. Helens Town Centre, which is a, another fantastic scheme. And again, going back to that, um, always doing the right thing. We're trying to constantly get better at what we do. So we in St. Helens, for example, we've got a, an office there where we've taken what we've done on Eden and we're trying to really push that on to the next um, next day. So that's, mm-hmm. again, be great if we could do a neighbour's six-star building. <laughs> I don't know if St. Helens is the one brilliant, but we're looking at a full timber frame there to significantly reduce the embodied carbon. So constantly looking to do things better, learning lessons, um, we're looking to standardise our designs um, to an extent. I think that's a key, that's a key part of our strategy in making things better. And, and standardising has a bit of a negative sort of connotation sometimes because are you looking to create buildings that all look the same? Well, no, this is about standardising the bits that make the building efficient yeah. and energy efficient. And then you have, say, 20% left. So I've got this sort of 80-20 rule in my mind where I want to get to 80% is standardised and 20% is the bit where you make it, you spend all your time and effort making the building really special. So that's part of the MUSE and DCF strategy about moving forward with design. So, yeah, really exciting times. I like I said, constantly looking to improve what we what we do and, and make our buildings and places uh, better constantly. It's really refreshing to hear when developers are thinking like that because I don't think there's that many at the moment that are thinking and you, you guys are definitely pushing the boundaries of built environment, how we design. Yeah, I mean, we've seen on, on, I'm sorry, I know this is Eden focused, but um, we do, we obviously do quite a lot of residential development and we're just like Eden, um, we're developing a, a, a residential building that's pushing the boundaries called Greenhouse on Chapel Street in Salford, it's part of Salford Central Development, again, in partnership with the City Council and uh, Salix, um, who funded that building. Yeah. Um, and there's, a, I think it's 100, approximately 100 affordable but fully passive house certified homes there. And it's the only... There's not many examples of fully passive mm-hmm. house certified apartments. The lessons we're learning from that I mean, you could we can you could do another full full podcast on on that. It's phenomenal for us. What's the um, next one? <laughs> building up to the future home standard and how that yeah, is integrated. You know, so huge focus equally on the residential side as it is on the commercial. Yeah, because I think residential is a bit behind when it comes to the zero carbon design. The push is massively from yeah, the workplace. Sector. It's harder. Um, it's hard. And there it, it, it is a cost premium yeah. attached to delivering residential to, to net zero in operation and passive house standards that isn't the same as on the, re, the commercial side. There is a cost premium, but it's what people want and people need yeah. and therefore there's a, there is a way to deliver it. Um, yeah, so that's a really exciting part of using ECS sort of Good. Anything that you guys want to add before we wrap up? Or? No, nothing for me, I don't think. No, thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Um, if you want to know more about Eden and how um, Condo can help you to get Mizero Carbon Buildings, go on our website. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a podcast by Kundal. We're a carbon-neutral business committed to achieving zero carbon design on all our projects by 2030. To work with us and help us achieve our goals, visit kundal.com.